Amen. It's all in a name. It's amazing how many people like dropping names. You know, when you meet them, you know, they tell you who they know or who they've met, you know. And you get people saying, you know, you know, I served Tom Jones in Starbucks. Or, you know, I, I cut the grass from Tommy Cooper. Or, you know, I've, I've done some great thing with some great person. And, and they like dropping names. Um, recently, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is, was promoting his new film, um, The Terminator. I don't know what it's called, but it's The Terminator, a new one that's out. And so he decided to go into um, a wax museum, all dressed up as a Terminator, and stand there. So when people came up to have a photograph taken um, of, of him next to the, what they thought was a wax um, statue, was actually the real person. And he you know, came alive and he, and he frightened the life out of them. But they went away saying, guess what? I just met Arnold Schwarzenegger. And they drop a name in because, you know, it's, it's really great when people think that you know someone great. Well, Jesus here is, um, I just welcome back. Just welcome back 72 men. They've gone out to preach. They've gone out to heal the sick. And he's welcomed them back. So the first thing that I want to say is rejoicing. We read these words. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. These 72 men have came back and, and they came back with wonderful reports of what they've done. And we read that Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And he praised God. Jesus being full of joy. You know, often people view God. They view God as an angry, vengeful God. They view God as someone who is not pleasant, someone who you don't want to get to know. And they have a view of God that is so negative. And people have that all the time. And they're out there saying, well, I'm not going to worship God because he's an angry God. Other people view God as, um, you know, or, or remember the time when Jesus wept. And they sort of view Jesus and they see Jesus as one who weeps for them. And it's great to see Jesus as that, as a great comforter, as one who um, sympathizes with you in, in your difficulties. I just heard a story of a missionary lady called Gladys. She was working in India amongst the men and women who had leprosy, her and her family. But one day she had a report that her husband and two of her children, Timothy and, um, and Philip, six years old and ten year old, were murdered in a car. The car was set alight and their bodies were burnt. And this woman, Gladys, was able to forgive the people who did that and still works amongst the Indians in leprosy. And she must have known what it was to have a saviour, to have a Christ that weeps with her in her sorrow. And it's wonderful to know that whatever we go through, Jesus himself is able to weep with those who weep. But many Christians forget that Jesus is also a joyful person. He's a person, as we read, not just 
slightly happy or slightly joyful. But the Bible says that Jesus was full of joy. And we need to remember that. And it's not a new thing. It's not something that only appears in the New Testament. But it's also there in the Old as well. Look at this verse in Zephaniah. It says this. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Can you imagine that? The Lord will rejoice over you with singing. It says here that he's mighty to save. He says that he delights in you. It says that he will show you his love. But more than that, it says that God himself will rejoice over you with singing. You know, I've met, and I was with this believer, this Christian last week. I met him and he said, I can't come to church. I I feel so terrible. You know, I've got things in my life that I'm not happy with. So I can't come to church. And I had to remind him that even though you feel terrible, even though you feel awful, even though you feel like you're, you're a failure and a sinful person, guess what? God himself rejoices over you. I was watching um, Wimbledon finals, the women's Wimbledon finals today. Kim and I was watching that and um, seeing Serena Williams win um, a, a championship. And when she, when she won, you know, you, the camera went into her box and, and in her box were her family. They didn't seem very happy. They didn't seem very joyful. They were pleased that she won. But they didn't seem very excited about it. But then I um, remember the year when Pat Cash won the men's tournament. And when he won the final, I remember him running over to the, the box, climbing over all the people and climbing into the box. But there was his family and they were so full of joy that he won the championship and he couldn't wait to get to them. It was a, a wonderful moment in, in Pat Cash's life. But you know what? The Bible tells me that God rejoices over you even though you didn't do anything. He rejoices over you even though you haven't won a Wimbledon title. He rejoices over you even though you feel that sometimes you're a failure. Even though you feel sometimes unworthy. Even though you feel that you're no good. That you've got so much sin in your life. Guess what? The Bible tells me that God rejoices over you with singing. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Oftentimes we go away and think to ourselves, I haven't done enough for God. I haven't read enough. I haven't prayed enough. But the very fact that you love him is enough. But the Bible says here, Jesus says, God says, he will, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will sing over you. Oh, I love to imagine God singing over this church. Praise God. And so we have it. Jesus rejoices. He's full of joy. Remember that. Also, I want to, my second point, which has two headings. Not only I want to talk about rejoicing, which Christ was doing, but also revealing. Questioning why 
was Jesus rejoicing? Why was he full of joy? Why did the Holy Spirit grab a hold of his heart and cause him to praise the living God? Well, that's a question that we need to answer, get answered, though. That's very, very important. I want you to come with me as we think these things through. Because the Bible says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. He rejoices for one reason. But I've broken this down to two so we can understand it. The first part of his prayer is this. Because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. There are some hidden truths. The things of God was hidden from the wise and learned Jesus said. In fact, Paul picks this up in 1 Corinthians. And Paul asks a question. He says this, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul picks it up. He says, where is the scholar? Where is the wise man? Where is the philosopher? Where are they? You see, the world today, hear me out, the world today thinks it's too big for God. The world today thinks that its technology has outgrown God. We have telescopes that can see other galaxies now. And the world believes that we have grown up. We don't need God anymore. God was when we were small and and, and childish, but now we have technology and we've grown in stature. We don't need God. But a little look at history would tell us that it wasn't always like that at all. When you think about our schooling system, who were the ones who set up the schools Who were the ones who set up teaching children, especially poor children? It was Christians. That's why we still have Sunday school today. Well, the Sunday school was originally the school that educated and taught the children on the streets throughout the whole week. Who introduced the hospitals and began providing medical care? Once again, think about it. It was Christians. On the back of our £10 note, who do we have on the back of our £10 note? Anybody know? Maybe you haven't got many £10 notes in your pocket. Florence Nightingale is on the back of the £10 note. She was a great example of a Christian woman caring for the needs of others. Who were the great scientists and the great thinkers and the great orators of bygone days. They were Christians, men like Isaac Newton and Benjamin Franklin. Christian men who were among the thinkers of our day. Even our buildings. You go into London, you look at some of our buildings, you'd be amazed what you would see on our buildings. I don't know how many of you have been to the Royal Albert Hall. I was there the other, the other month 
at the Royal Albert Hall. I walked outside the Royal Albert Hall, looked up, and I saw the name of God outside the Royal Albert Hall. In fact, it was going all around the building. Do you know what it said? Well, let me tell you what it says. On the Royal Albert Hall. Thine, O God, is the greatest and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. The wise and their works are in the hand of God. Glory be to God on high and on earth peace. That is on the Royal Albert Hall going right around the building. And I love what it says here, the wise and their works. Where are they? The wise are in the hand of God. Now from that we come to our time and generation. And we see that we have a a new thinking abroad. New atheists have come through. People who claim that God is dead. In fact, we have a guy called Stephen Fry. Some of you know Stephen Fry. He's a great actor. He's a great poet. He's well-liked by many people. But he appeared on TV saying, you know what? God is a fraud. God is dead. God doesn't exist anymore. And that was his view of God. But when you, you might have seen this somewhere in London, buses driving around, there's probably no God. I don't know if you can see the building behind that. Anyone recognize the building behind that? It's the Royal Albert Hall. And as they drive past the Royal Albert Hall with a word saying, Die be the glory and the power about the building of the Royal Albert Hall, here comes a bus with the word scrawled on it, There's probably no God, which probably took a, a, an artist five minutes to, to put on a bit of paper. It took men years to build a building like that. You see, the wise, those with wisdom, that ought to have known better, that should have looked into the word and researched these things with much more accuracy. The wise are the ones who are turning away from the things of God. But Jesus turns around and he says, you're hidden them from the wise, but you reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. You're hidden it from the wise, but you revealed it to little children. So, reveal truths. These 72 men, Jesus called them little children. They went out, healed the sick, cast out demons. They were certainly not children by their size or by their build or by their age, but they had a dependency on Christ. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 18. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you change and become dependent upon God, like a child, dependent upon its parents. Unless you change 
and rely and not have your strength in yourself, but your strength comes from him. Unless you change, you will not even see the kingdom of God. And these men, Jesus called little children. Now, it's to these people, to these men, that God has revealed something to. What did he reveal to them? What did he reveal to them? What did they know that made Jesus turn around and say, I praise you, God? What was revealed to them? Well, they said it themselves in their own words. If you go back to our Bible reading, Luke 10, verse 17, they said this. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us. Here it is. In your name. In your name. There was authority and power. In the name of Jesus Christ. What these men have seen that no one else saw. What was revealed to these men that only God revealed to them. Was that the name of Jesus is all powerful and all supreme. Now you may say, well, hold on Terry. What is so wonderful about the name of Jesus? That so many wise people have missed. What is so wonderful and powerful in the name of Jesus that made Jesus so happy? What's in it in a name? Surely it's just a name, but let me just show you something. Right from the beginning, the angel spoke to Joseph and said to Joseph regarding Mary, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You ought to give him the name Jesus because he's going to do a wonderful work to the Jewish people. You see his people, the people of the Old Testament, the Jewish people, you see them. Jesus is going to come and he's going to save Israel from their sins. That was his birth. But not only that, Peter got up and preached on the day of Pentecost. And he says, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name given to men under heaven by which we must be saved. There's no other name. Now, Peter is saying, not only are the Jews are going to be saved by the name of Jesus Christ, but the whole world, whether they're black or white, whether they're from the other ends of the earth, rich or poor, there's only one name under heaven by which they must be saved. That name is Jesus Christ. That is in his resurrection. You think that's enough? That's not enough. There's more. Because... Philippians say that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. A day is coming that is going to be at the name of Christ, where everyone will bow down and worship. That's why the name is so important. It's not just in his birth. 
is not just in his resurrection, but it's going to be important in his return as well. The name of Jesus is so wonderfully important. That's why these 72 people, the 72 men, found that this truth was revealed to them. No other truth was more important than this one truth, that the name of Jesus is irrevocably, wonderfully important. The name itself. That's the truth. A man sent me a quote. This guy is far more clever than me and far more well-read than me, but he sent me a quote that I'm going to use right here. And and look what it says. The truth is incontrovertible. Can't say that word. Incontrovertible. I will practice that all day. Meaning that you can't argue about it. That's what it means. Malice may attack it. Ignorance may deride it. But in the end, there it is. Winston Churchill said that. You can't argue about the truth. And from the birth of Christ, from the angel's mouth, it was spoken. You should call him his name, Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Peter got up and preached his first sermon. What was the words of his first sermon? There's no other name given to men under heaven by which you must be saved. No other name. Paul writes and he said, you know, Jesus is going to come again. And you know what? At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Paul turns around and that question again, he says, where is the wise person? Where is the scholar? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish their wisdom? And indeed he has. God has made the world's wisdom foolishness. But we speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. My dear friend, God even today is still revealing his secret. He's revealing his truth. His truth, his secret, is all bound in one name. It's all tied in in one person. That name, that person is Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him as the most important person in your life, if you don't know him as one that you should give all the worship, all the glory, all the honor, if you don't know him as that one single most important person in your life, then the Holy Spirit is still yet to reveal him to you. You're still thinking to yourself, well, maybe I can draw close to God by myself. Maybe I can look to another man, maybe go to a priest 
or someone else and ask him to pray for me. Maybe that would work. Maybe I can do some good works and do some really good deeds around them. Maybe God will look at my good works and promote me to glory. Maybe I can do it my own way. Well, you think that way, my dear friends. Then the Spirit hasn't revealed to you what it's revealed to these 72 men. There's only one way into glory. There's only one way into the presence of God. Most people hate that. They like there to be many ways. Why do you say, why the Bible says only one way? Well, that is what God has ordained it. It's God's home. It's God's dwelling place. And he gives the map and the instruction on how to arrive in his presence. And he says, there's only one way. Jesus cries out. He said, broad is the road. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate. And narrow is the door that leads into eternal life. If I ask the Lord Jesus, Jesus, why is it narrow? Why is it so, so small? Why can't it be wide so many people can get through? He will say the reason why it's narrow, because I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The question that I need to ask the Christians here today and the non-believers here today, I need to ask you, are you relying upon Christ today? Are you relying upon him or upon yourself? The question that I need to also put to you, do you know that no matter how you feel, God himself, if you're a believer today, he rejoices over you with singing. He prayed, he's, 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 he, I can't even put it into words. But you need to dwell on that yourself, that God himself loves the fact that I belong to him. A frail, weak, broken vessel so often, but I belong to him and he rejoices over me. Let's pray.